You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Pet Life Radio's On the Road with Mac and Molly. This is your host, Donna Haleson. And with us in this episode is Tiffany Grace, author of Fur in My Paint, a full-color, hardcover, high-gloss coffee table book that chronicles in words and pictures the work of animal artists. Tiffany is now preparing two more volumes, Watercolors, that focuses on the art-making of marine mammals, and Bare Naked Paint, that introduces folks to the work of Ursine artists. When we return from these messages, Tiffany will be joining us from her home in Reno, Nevada. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Petco, where the pets go. Petco, where the pets go. Pet Life Radio has tail wagging, fur flying, fabulous deals for our listeners from Petco. Get $6 off your order of $60 or more and up to 40% off the entire Petco site. That's right. But that's not all. Because you're a Pet Life Radio listener, you'll also get free shipping on your order of $49 or more. $6 off, up to 40% off, and free shipping from Pet Life Radio and Petco. To get these awesome deals, go to PetcoDeals.com. That's PetcoDeals.com. Petco, where the pets go. I don't make any decisions about who to hire without going to Angie's List first. You'll find reviews on home repair to health care written by people just like you. With Angie's List, I know who to call, and I know the results will be fantastic. Angie's List you can trust. Go to Angie'sList.com forward slash best and get 25% off any subscription. That's Angie'sList.com forward slash best. B-E-S-T. Thinking about buying a monkey? How about a ferret or a skunk? Then check out the show that will answer the burning questions, where do you get them? What do you feed them? How do you take care of them? And most of all, what were you thinking? With exotic pet expert and author Bob Tart, every week on demand from PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. us now is Tiffany Grace, author of Fur in My Paint. Welcome, Tiffany, and thank you for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. Well, we're just delighted that that's so and uh, eager to launch into our topic. I should note at the beginning here that this is the second in a multi-part series on animal art making, and I do wonder if we might begin our conversation today by explaining what we mean by animal art. Could you give us maybe a a brief introduction to this area of interest and tell us about where it's being done? Sure. Animal art is a form of enrichment that homeowners with their pets at home or zookeepers at zoos, sanctuaries, aquariums across the world let their animals partake in. It's, It's a good way to 
have the animals exhibit behaviors that they would naturally in the wild, so it's very healthy for them. It's a good way to interact with the animals, get them desensitized to being around people, get them used to being touched, handled. It's a just a wonderful way to get them out of the rut of daily life in an enclosure that might not have as much as they would normally have out in the wild. So traditionally, you paint with non-toxic paints and the animal uses either their body parts to paint with. So if it's a feline like a tiger, they would use their paws, their teeth. They would rip into the canvas, roll around in the paint. An elephant would use his trunk and hold a paintbrush and paint it around. A sea lion or a dolphin would use their mouth and hold the paintbrush. And then you have the great eight and monkeys that will use their fingers and finger paint very similar to what you would find with like a toddler or, you know, a young child. Great. Well, could you tell us a little bit about your background and how you were drawn into this? Why is this such a, uh, an intriguing subject for you? I um, come from a long line of animal lovers. And um, as a little girl, my mom and dad took me and my brother to all sorts of zoos, sanctuaries, aquariums. We went everywhere where there were animals. And at home, there were always documentaries on the TV about different animals, particularly because my mom loved them, gorillas. I remember one day sitting watching a documentary about a sign language trained gorilla, and her name was Coco. And I was just fascinated by the fact that she had a kitten and, you know, she was so, so similar to what I was like. And part of the documentary had her painting, and she was sitting there finger painting. And um, I remember it being a very exciting moment because she stopped, and I was so into what she was doing that I I stopped with her, and I was like, what's going on? And um, she looks down at the paint, gets really close, and she pulls out something from the paint, and you can see this little tiny hair on her finger and she kind of holds it like oh it's one of my hairs and discards it and then goes back to painting and I just loved that and after that everywhere I went I was looking for talking to zookeepers do your animals paint which ones paint and um, it's just always been a really good interest of mine that has taken off into this book. Now, the book came out, I believe, in 2009. And how did you assemble all of the, the photographs and really just the entire book? How did it all come into being? That was actually quite the endeavor. I had gotten um, really, really sick, and I was pregnant at the same time. And I had a lot of time on my hands because I couldn't do anything. And I had this book in mind, and I felt that with not being able to do anything else, it was a great time to dedicate to it. So what I did is I went out and I contacted every single animal facility I could find on the Chamber of Commerce for the state's website, the Animal Zookeeper Association's website, the Animal Sanctuary Association's website, and I just contacted them all. Sent probably well over 3,000 emails across the United States, Canada, Mexico. I tried to get as many places I could. I even sent some out to England and France. And um, I got very few responses back, some saying 
no, our animals don't do that. Others saying, that sounds great. Could you come out and teach them? And just a couple that said, yeah, our animals do that. This sounds like a really interesting endeavor. So with one person particularly from Knoxville Zoo, she was truly my champion. She, you know, got on to all of the inner circles and started talking to different people saying, hey, this is a really cool idea. Let's help her expand upon this. And I had them send me, you know, high-resolution photographs of their art. That way they could keep the originals and sell them to raise money for their enrichment programs, whatever they needed to use the artwork for. And I had them send me pictures of um, the artist. And after receiving some of the pictures from the artist, they were also submitting pictures of the artist painting. And, you know, originally I just wanted the artwork and a portrait, but then once seeing the animals in the process of painting, like, I have to add that. That is just an amazing factor that people will really love to see. So I went back and I was like, okay, can you please send me photographs of the animal painting? And that's whenever they were sending me photographs of the animal painting, photographs of the tools the animals were using, photographs of the animal keepers covered in paint whenever, you know, the dolphin missed the canvas and accidentally hit the trainer's face or the sea lion went a little crazy with the flipper and got someone in the bum. So it was a really fun process and I got to know these keepers so well and the animals so well like I was actually there with them. Well, how long did it take you to put the book together then? Because it came to press in 2009, but it sounds as though this was really quite the effort. It took me about a year to put together, nine months to a year. I had to wait for some of the bureaucracy of the zoos to pass through. The keeper couldn't just say, yeah, I'll be a part of it. They had to go to their higher-ups, and they had to go to their higher-ups and make sure that it was something that the facility um, would be okay participating in and having their name in it. Mm -hmm. And um, so that took a little while for some. Other facilities, you know, they had animals that painted, but they didn't have any artwork right then and there for me. So it took a little while for them to get that right painting out from, like, Wildcat Sanctuary, they paint with their cats, and sometimes the cats go a little overboard and rip the canvas to shreds rather than just roll on it and chew on it and scratch on it a little bit. So that took a little while for them to be able to give me a piece that wasn't completely shredded. It intrigues me. You've got the mention of one of the great cats. You know, how do you... I really would love to hear maybe some of the logistics of that. How do you get... (laughs) paint on a tiger's paw so that it can even get to the place where it might be ripping up a canvas with paint on. What an extraordinary effort. That is the really cool thing about animal keepers' intuition and insight into the animals they take care of. You look at a tiger and you can't go in with it to paint, not normally, especially at a sanctuary where the animal is probably has been abused or neglected and doesn't really care for people too much. So what they do is they have these large canvases that they put out. They put splotches of paint on the canvas, and then they spray a scent into the paint that they know that the tiger or the jaguar is really attracted to. For, like, house cats, um, you can put catnip um, in the paint. I tried that. It didn't work for my cat. But olive juice worked great for him. Olive juice? 
Okay. Yep. Yep. He is. He's weird. (laughs) I later learned that sardines were an ingredient in the particular olives I was eating into the juice. So I think that's what attracted him. So once this scent is in the the paint, the cat comes into the yard and um, all he wants to do is roll in it and love on it, chew on it, mark it, make it his. And um, for a white tiger at the Wildcat Sanctuary, they like to use blue and purple. Not so much because the cat prefers blue or purple or that's its favorite color, but because when the cat stands up from rolling around in this paint, you have this magnificent white tiger covered in these beautiful blues and purples, and you get this gorgeous photograph that you could probably only find in a watercolor painting. It's just a really fantastic thing to see this animal completely enjoy something that it wouldn't normally have access to. I wonder when you mentioned about a white tiger that would suddenly be covered with all of these extraordinary paints, would that have been done before uh, an audience at that particular facility or is that something that's being done behind the scenes? Some facilities do make a show of it. They do let um, the audience, the the visitors, see the animals paint. But at the facility I volunteer at, Animal Ark, we paint with our tortoises because we can take them out, set them on the ground in front of the people, and with a few strawberries and blueberries and spinach-based paint, the tortoise goes all over the canvas, spreads the food around as he's trying to eat it, and makes really neat brushstroke images. The kids love watching a tortoise make a mess. It's, it's great. And then you have other facilities. There's one in Texas where you can have a painting done specifically for you by a great ape or by an elephant. And you pay, I think it's uh, $500, and it's a private viewing. You pick the colors that you want the animal to paint with, and then you get to watch the animal create a painting for you. So it, it depends on which facility you go to. Well, some of what you're discussing here is basically covering an animal, whether it be a flipper or a paw or, you know, an animal rolling in paint or, or walking through paint in order to create uh, a piece of artwork. But there are also those facilities that are training animals to hold paintbrushes. And, and I wonder if you could just discuss that a little bit about how, how animals are being trained and, you know, how they're chosen to do that kind of artwork. What makes them a good candidate? What makes a, a particular animal a good candidate for that kind of more specific training? Sure. Dolphins are a really good one to use for that. Dolphins are very social animals, and in captivity and in the wild, they're very pleasing animals. They want to make their pod, their group, happy. And um, as a trainer, you become part of their pod. You become a part of their family. So what trainers do is watching the dolphins interact with themselves and play on their own, they watch and see if, you know, there's a stick in the water. Which dolphin picks up the stick and starts using the stick to dig through the dirt or just plays with it in his mouth? Then they move from there. They recognize which dolphins are more mouth-oriented, and then they bring the dolphin up, and they ask him to hold a paintbrush or something of that nature in his mouth to see what he does with it. If he 
chews it up and destroys it, if he swims off and never comes back with it, or if he stays. If he stays, then usually they would blow their whistle, which is called a, a bridge, and that tells the dolphin that what he's doing is right. And then he might get a fish or might get rubbed, some sort of treat to let him know that what he's doing is correct. So once he has that paintbrush held in his mouth and he keeps holding it in his mouth, that's when they add paint to the paintbrush. And they start working on targeting, which is having the animal touch a certain spot on, in this case, canvas or paper. And when they touch the correct spot, the animal gets a reward. With the Theater of the Sea down in Florida, they will draw, sometimes they will draw a shape on the canvas, like, say, a heart, and then they let the dolphin color in the heart or paint with the heart. Sometimes you end up with a fully painted-in heart, and the dolphin's pretty good at staying in those lines. Other times, the dolphin decorates around the heart, outside of it. And then Mm -hmm. they also give the dolphin a blank canvas, and they will target one spot, and then they let the dolphin kind of go from there, make the brush strokes as he wants. They submitted a beautiful picture of what to us would look like flowers. So you have these green, straight-up, stem-looking designs, and then you have these pink curlies up at the top that look like flowers with sea lions. Some sea lions will, you know, hold a paintbrush as well, but others as a more playful creature, will use their noses. And they will willingly dip their noses in the paint and then smear it on the paper and put little nose prints all over the paper in different locations. And they don't really use any specific point as the target of reference for the sea lions. They put the canvas up and they just let the sea lion go and do what the sea lion wants to do within you know parameters of staying on the canvas. Now, are the canvases being held for the animals or are easels used or canvases placed on the ground? Or maybe the answer to that is that all of those methods are are employed. Oh, yes. Yes, some animals are gentle enough with the canvas to where it can be put onto an easel. We have a couple of um, sea lions that paint on an easel. I think there's a keeper behind it just to make sure it doesn't fall over if he gets over-exuberant. Gorillas and orangutans will paint on easels. They'll also take it and put it on the ground or on their lap, like you would see a child do, and they would paint, you know, finger paint on the canvas there. Then you have, like, birds that paint and other animals that the keeper would hold the canvas and direct the bird to paint onto the canvas as opposed to their hands or their arms or their face. Now, are, are animals working in other media as well? You know, I'm not really sure. You have, as far as creativity, for me, I would have to say yes, because you have animals like birds who build nests and literally can make beautiful pieces of art from those nests, like the bowerbird, who naturally, in the nature, collects a specific color to adorn his nest, to attract a female. And there's records of Bowers collecting, you know, blues. So he makes a pile of blue beetles, of blue seeds, of blue berries, of blue flowers, and then decorates with those. And I know a lot of people that can't decorate their houses properly. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) 
that's something I really would like to explore as we, you know, towards the towards the end of our our interview. But I, because I really do wonder. I think about uh, whether or not animals other than humans are going to be able to appreciate beauty, and uh, you know why why a bird would create such an extraordinary piece of artwork. I mean, that we look at this and we say, this really is a, is a beautiful piece of art. You know, is it, is it being created because there's just all kinds of stuff and that's what's going to attract the female? Or is there something in what we see as beauty that the bird also sees as beauty? I'd really love to explore that more in just a little bit, but I want to go back to something that we had discussed to just explore that a little bit before we move to that. How do you think human and animal relationships are, are being enhanced or changed through these interactions? And what are we learning about just the communication between species through these activities? You know, I think there's a lot to benefit with painting with animals. It's something very special for keepers. It's a time for that one-on-one interaction that not every animal keeper gets to have with every animal. The animals do show preference to keepers. So just because you work with that animal and just because that animal paints for one person doesn't mean he's going to paint for another. So there's definitely a bond there that's created. There is a hornbill at a facility down in Texas that he only paints with one keeper. He only likes that one male keeper. There have been other keepers that have come in and have tried, and he literally throws the brush in their face. He just won't do it. It's great for animals that need the socialization. It's really wonderful for snakes. Now, snakes, they aren't aware that they're painting. Lizards, they're not aware that they're painting. But it's a good time to get them to use muscles that they wouldn't normally use just sitting in a terrarium. They're moving around, they're squirming, and then they have to get washed. And just the action of you rubbing down the snake or the lizard is exercising those muscles that they wouldn't normally use. It also helps keep them more docile, and it keeps them not afraid of human touch. So if you take that animal out for an educational experience and a child runs up and touches it, it doesn't turn around and try to react negatively to the touch because it's used to it. Dolphins, gorillas, orangutans, sea lions, parrots, they're all very social, social animals. So if you have an animal that can't be in a pod-like lifestyle, can't be in a flock-like lifestyle, then the keeper becomes their flock, their pod, their troop. And that painting session is 20, 30 minutes, an hour of dedicated time that they you know, wouldn't normally get during feedings or yard time when they're out in their exhibits. So it's it's a really great thing for mind, body, soul, if you want to, of these animals and of the people. I know that there are those who protest the whole idea of animals being in captivity, being in animal parks, even even being in conservation centers. Is there any argument against engaging in these activities with those animals who are in facilities of this type? You know, I have only really found one major protest, particularly towards my book, and it all boiled down to 
misreading something, not understanding a particular word. The person had read an article about how some facilities, while an animal is undergoing their normal physical checkup, they are put under so that they can have their teeth checked and different things like that. And keepers will take their paw prints at that time, which I don't really consider that so much art because the animal isn't really aware of what's going on. The person misread it and thought that the animal was being put down, that the animal was being killed, and kind of went overboard and started saying that the animals are being forced to paint with their own blood and things like that. It got pretty pretty oh, awful. Okay. And it seems to be something of a misunderstanding that the animals aren't being forced to paint, you know, we're not taping paintbrushes into their mouths or onto their paws. If the animal doesn't want to, they don't have to. No one's going to force them. No one can force them. You know, a tiger comes in, looks at the canvas, doesn't want anything to do with it, not painting that day. A dolphin doesn't want to hold a paintbrush. He's not going to paint that day. They're not going to make them. So I haven't heard any major protests, you know, that that it's cruel to animals or anything like that, but there have been a few of those misunderstandings where a word was misinterpreted and things kind of went crazy from there. Well, and again, you know, as you have said, you know, we're talking about enrichment activities here mm-hmm. to make it more pleasurable for animals to be in these particular facilities and to give them things that, uh, that they will actually, and if we can say that, enjoy. Right. And so what I'm hoping is that we might just take a break and when we return, perhaps we could discuss animals in terms of creativity, appreciation of beauty, learning processes, whether or not they experience activities like this as fun. So why don't we just do that, take a break, and uh, folks who are listening, if you just sit, stay, we'll be right back. Sit, stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Every pet is unique. Maybe they're gray in the muzzle, yet young at heart. Maybe they're growing out of the puppy stage and into their paws and ears. Or maybe they're just trying to maintain a more girlish figure. At PetSmart, we have the right food for your pet at a great value for you. PetSmart. Be better together. Go to PetSmartDeal.com and save up to 30% on awesome gifts for the pets and pet people in your life. Toys, collars, leashes, PetSmart gift cards, treats, and more. Go to PetSmartDeal.com today. P-E-T-S-M-A-R-T-D-E-A-L.com. I'm not much of a reader, but I do wish I were more well-read. There are so many great books coming out. I wish I could find a way to keep up. Audible.com makes it easy to stay well-informed and catch up on your reading simply by listening. Audiobooks from Audible turn downtime into uptime. You'll be more productive and become well-read. Now I'm able to catch up on all the great books I've been wanting to read. With Audible, I feel smarter. Pet Life Radio listeners, try Audible.com now and get your first 30 days of Audible Listener Gold Membership plan free. And get a free audiobook. 
Choose from over 100,000 titles. To get this great deal, go to audibledeals.com. That's audibledeals.com. Dyson. The new Dyson Animal Backs are powerful bagless upright backings for homes with pets. Air muscle and radio root cyclone technology generates the strongest suction power to powerfully remove dust, dirt, and pet hair from the home or car. To order your Dyson Animal Vac, go to DysonDeals.com. DysonDeals.com to order your Dyson Animal Vac today. Dyson. Music to your ears. This year, Americans are expected to spend a jaw-dropping $36 billion on their pets. From lighted leashes to high-end spa products, the discriminating pet owner can find just about anything to pamper his or her pet. Hi, this is Michelle Fern. Join me every week for Best Bets for Pets, where we'll talk about the latest pet products and talk to the companies that make them. Best Bets for Pets, every week, only on PetLifeRadio.com. PetLifeRadio.com All right, well, you know, I'd love to move on to a discussion of what we can know or what we believe we can know about animals from their art making. And so we do just welcome back our listeners, and uh, we again welcome Tiffany Grace, who is the author of Fur in My Paint. So, Tiffany, I wonder if you can tell us what you believe we can understand about the artwork that's being created. And maybe the way to get into that would be to discuss aesthetic appreciation. I think oftentimes we assume that human beings are the only ones really who appreciate beauty. But, you know, I started thinking about peahens, for example, you know, drawn to the beauty of the peacock with his magnificent spread of feathers. You've mentioned a particular bird, another bird that just builds the most phenomenal nest and employs various kinds of colors and textures and, uh, you know, to create something that human beings can certainly look at and see as beauty. So do you believe or, you know, has it been researched, I guess, that creatures other than human beings appreciate beauty? You know, I'm not really sure if it's been researched or not. I kind of under the philosophy that if somebody has the idea, then someone's looked into it. (laughs) But, you know, just from my experiences with putting this together, I have learned that, um, you know, gorillas and orangutans and chimps, they become partial to their artwork. They like what they draw. And I say that because keepers will post their pieces of art up on the walls inside of where they sleep. And if a piece falls down, say the tape falls and doesn't stick to the wall anymore, the animal will get upset. He wants it back up on the wall. Mm -hmm. And if you take all those paintings away, the animal will become distraught and will start tantruming and throwing things. And they really like to see their artwork. So there's something of an attachment to it. And, and that's, you know, another kind of another piece that we might throw into this. Another question is what kind of meaning they may attach to that artwork. Unfortunately, I don't think we'll ever know. You know, the animals can't speak. 
<laughs> so we don't really know what they're thinking. We can just deduce from their behavior and assume that, you know, if they're throwing a tantrum, something bad is going on in their mind. If they're happy and content, then something good is going on. So through the great apes, you can definitely see a great attachment. You can definitely see that, you know, they will draw with their fingers. They will stop. They will look at their artwork. They'll turn it, you know, almost like you would see an artist, you know, a human artist do, assessing where the next line should go, and then back to the painting drawing what they were drawing before. Dolphins actually have a very sweet tell on when they're happy and excited. Their bellies turn pink. And, um, isn't that delightful? One, yeah, it, it is. It, it's great. There's nothing like watching dolphins perform and you see this bright pink belly come out. You know, he's so happy. At Theater of the Sea, there is one particular dolphin who his belly turns so pink while he's painting. Not much more gets him that excited than painting. He just, his belly just shines. <laughs> so at least he seems to really enjoy the experience of painting. I honestly don't know if he, you know, backs up, looks at his artwork, admires it. No one has brought up or mentioned to me that they keep the artwork around and show the dolphin or show the sea lions what they have done later on down the road. I can really only speak from what I've learned from the grade eight point of view. Do they seem to recognize their own artwork versus the artwork, let's say, of another grade eight? You know, that's a really good question. I don't know. That mm. is a really good question that next time I get the chance, I am definitely going to start asking about. <laughs> this is just such, I don't know, an area so ripe for development in interspecies communication, in really trying to get a sense of, of learning styles. Maybe that's a, an area, too, that where we might turn. Can you relate the learning process and maybe go to specific animals, thinking of specific animals, to the ways in which human beings learn? Are there some animals that are more visual learners or auditory learners or tactile learners? And, uh, you know, maybe others that need all of those different modes, I guess, in order to grasp whatever it is they're, they're trying to grasp. I'm not really sure how you would test one way or another if the animal is a tactile learner, visual learner, um, you know, what method is best for them. I know that their hearing and their visual is a big part for most animals on training. Keepers will use a whistle traditionally, or a clicker. Um, I know a lot of listeners out there will probably be very familiar with the clicker training for their dogs, but you click whenever something good is happening. So as far as, you know, when they're hitting the paper with the paintbrush, the whistle blows or the clicker clicks, they get a treat and they know, hey, yeah, I'm supposed to stick this paintbrush, I'm supposed to stick this paint to this piece of paper here. Learning visually I had the great opportunity to work with Dr. Alan Gardner, who trained chimpanzees how to sign language. And when the chimps left his facility here in Reno, they went up to Washington with um, Dr. Fouts. And the oldest of the group was a female named Washoe, and they gave her a baby, and she adopted the baby. And they were not allowed, the humans were not allowed to use sign language around Lolis, the baby. And Washoe taught Lolis how to sign language. 
So I would bet that if she taught Lilith how to sign language, then she probably would teach Lilith how to paint. And I would assume that other animals, like the gorillas, the, the great apes, would definitely teach their young how to paint if a keeper put the materials in there and let them have at it. What was fascinating to me when I spoke with Ken Litwin at the Oregon Coast Aquarium, I had asked him the question about whether he thought one sea lion could teach another sea lion to paint. And he said that I don't sort of the things that they would need in the wild, how to fish, I don't know, how certain movements or uh, other communications or whatever, that those kinds of things, they seem to pass on to each other. But any of the quote-unquote tricks that a sea lion might have been taught, you know, let's say to do a particular flip at a particular time, they didn't seem to follow one another in that. And so, you know, this is fascinating to me that you might have another species, however. You might have the great apes, for example, who could perhaps teach one another to paint. And, uh, you know, the uh, maybe some of the proof of the pudding of that, or at least the indicator of that, could be the fact that you have, you know, this one chimpanzee who would have taught another how to sign. Fascinating. You know, I'm wondering if we could just turn for a moment to how you think what is being done with animals in the conservation centers in animal parks, how that could be translated, transferred into what we might do with our, with our pets, with the animals who live with us at home. Any suggestions for us there? Oh, definitely. There's a festival that goes on here, and it's all about your dogs. And we actually set up a booth for you to paint with your dogs. And what we do is, for some dogs... All you have to do is put paint on their paws, and they walk across the paper, and they love it. Other dogs will lay out a tray of paint, and they walk across it. And I watched one dog last year walk across the canvas, stop like he realized there was something important about what was going on underneath his feet. He looked down, and he started scratching at the paper, and he was making these marks, and he started scratching somewhere else, scratching somewhere else, and he was making marks all over the paper. And then he just stopped, dropped, and rolled all over it, tail going crazy, happy <laughs> as he could possibly be. Like I mentioned earlier about the cats, a lot of people paint with their cats. Some go a little overboard and let them paint their walls. Others kind of pull it in a little bit and um, have them paint on canvas. But that, um, that motion of digging in the paint is actually quite addictive for cats. They can really get into it. Mine... You know, he wasn't too into it. He was a little bit older, so stubborn Siamese. But we have a younger cat who we haven't tried it with yet, but he is extremely experimental. He's always into everything, and he would probably love messing the house up with some paint. (laughs) (laughs) Also, you know, for those reptile owners out there, it is, like I said, a great exercise for their muscles. Um, having them move across your hands, move across the paper. It's something different for them to expend their muscle usage on rather than just sitting in their terrarium. I've heard of people who paint with their horses. The horse will hold a ball that a paintbrush has been stuck into or like a um, one of those thick paintbrushes that you would paint your house with. And that head jerking motion that a lot of horses will do, that nod and bob, they will sit there and they will just paint and go to town. And when they're done, they drop the paintbrush. And if you try to walk away, they will chase you. (laughs) 
You mentioned a festival here. Are you saying at Animal Ark? It is actually held by um, down in Reno in the um, main town stretch. It's uh, Art in the Park, and um, it's it's a lot of fun. It's the celebration of art. It's a celebration of dogs. It's a celebration of being out while it's beautiful weather. <laughs> when does that festival come up? Oh goodness, I I do not remember. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I want to say that it is midsummer. Midsummer. Well, and you know the thing is, is that there may be folks who are listening today who may run with that idea and try it in their own neck of the woods. It's a great gathering. You get so many wonderful people. Everyone's excited. Everyone treasures and loves their little piece of artwork that they got from their dog. I mean, there's nothing like watching your animal who you're used to running through the yard and you know, chasing rabbits or chasing lizards, and all of a sudden they have this beautiful piece of artwork that you can hang up on your wall and be proud of like it was your child's or something like that. You know, I do wonder, one thing we haven't talked about here is how much animal art may cost. Is there, can you give us an idea of the range of prices and if there are people who are out there who are collectors of animal art? Uh, There actually are collectors of animal artwork. I'm one of them. <laughs> I've um, been contacted by a few people who um, want to find out how they can get more artwork. Gorilla artwork, elephant artwork, sea lion artwork is becoming really big, dolphin artwork. And you can get them at the facilities that are talked about in my book. There are many other facilities as well that do paint with their animals, but they aren't quite so outward about it. So if you know someone, then you might be able to get artwork. And it really does range in price. Houston does, you know, the $500 program where you can get the artwork and watch the artist paint the artwork. And, um, you know, that's really, really high in price, I think, for the artwork. You have other facilities that sell it more in the $20, $30, $40, $50 range. And then still yet, you have facilities that use it as a fundraiser program, so it's something that's auctioned for. So in the end, it is truly what the person feels the artwork's worth and what the animal's worth and what the facility is worth. So there are definitely different methods to go about collecting your artwork. I am so grateful that we have been able to have this time together. Fascinating area of interest that you have, and you've just been a a most delightful guest. And as we are nearing our time to close, I'm I'm wondering if there's anything else that you would uh, want to be certain to add before we do end our time, and and perhaps you might tell us uh, where we might see more about fur in my paint, and uh, when you're hoping uh, watercolors and uh, bare, and I've forgotten the name of it, bare naked paint, when we might see those being released. Well, you can find out more about Fern My Paint at the website, fernmypaint.com. You can also learn a lot more about the facilities that participated and joined in on the book. I have links set up so that you can go to that zoo or sanctuary's website and um, learn more about the animal, learn how you can get a hold of their artwork, um, different things like that. As for watercolors and bare naked paint, right now I don't have a set date. It's something that I'm just kind of letting happen. I don't want to be one of those in-debt authors. So waiting for fur in my paint to finish wrapping itself up before I move on and finish completely watercolors. So, yeah, definitely go to fur in my paint.com and 
If you have any questions or just want to talk about animal art, feel free to contact me at fernmypaint at gmail.com. And uh, I always love to chat. Well, we are very grateful that you were able to take the time out today to chat with us. And uh, again, I do just thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. I really, really enjoyed this. That is it for us today, and uh, I do hope that you'll check out the On the Road with Mac and Molly blog that is found at Pet Life Radio, and there you'll also find photographs of animal art making and more. If you have any questions or comments, please do email me at the address you'll find there. And as always, I hope you'll be with us next time as we head out On the Road with Mac and Molly. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand only on PetLifeRadio.com.